there and just give you all what I've got. So, But I thought it through and thought that might not be a good idea either. So, Okay. It's good to see you here today. Today we're going to hopefully finish our two-part part study from 1 Samuel titled Broken But Chosen. And once again, before we start, I want to say thank you to Senior Pastor Philip Griffin of the Elmsbrook Church of Brookfield, Wisconsin, for allowing me to take his idea from a sermon that he gave and develop it into this series. As we begin today, I want us to take a couple take a look at a couple key points from last week's message. Last week we, we saw that God eventually rejected Saul as the king of Israel because of what was in his heart. And I want us to look at specifically at some of the those things that Scripture points out as defects in Saul's heart. The first thing was that Saul lacked confidence in God. Even though Saul had seen God use him in the past, and he experienced that in the past, he still didn't trust God to do the things that he said he would do. Saul placed his confidence instead in his own abilities instead of in God. And his confidence only extended as far as his own strengths, as far as his own gifts, and as far as his own talents would take him. He never completely trusted God, and as a result... He didn't have a confident life. Secondly, Saul was impatient with God. God made it clear to Saul that complete obedience meant not just doing what he said, but also doing it in the timing that he laid out. But instead of waiting for God, we see that many times Saul would take off on his own in his own timing, and more often than not, it was complete disaster. Number three, Saul didn't obey God. And this is closely related to being, being impatient with God in the sense that God would tell Saul how to do something and Saul would instead do it his own way. And this wasn't Saul just missing God's timing here. This was him missing the entire task. God would say do this and instead Saul would do that. God would say don't do this. And Saul would go ahead and do that. It's Saul's motivation here, though, that seems to be really the root of the problem. Many times his disobedience came from being afraid of what people would think. He was afraid that people would reject him if he did what God told him to do. He was more concerned about people's opinion than God's opinion. And that's what was leading his heart. Number four, Saul never learned to completely trust God. At one point, under Saul's leadership, Israel was faced with the challenge of this giant that was possibly nine feet tall named Goliath. And even though Saul had seen God do miraculous things, he was completely dismayed and terrified at this man. Why was that? Primarily because he faced his problems as if there was no God. Well, he, he admitted and, and would say that there was a God with his mouth, but in, in his heart, he lived as if God did not exist. 
As we said last week, in reality, Saul was little more than a functional atheist. Number five, Saul never repented. True repentance is not only an attitude of having sorrow for a personal sin, it also entails turning away from that sin and towards a new life. In other words, a change of direction. There were times when Saul made a statement about being sorry. But he never really repented. You say, well, how do you know that? Because his heart never changed. True repentance will bring about a change of heart. So now that we have this, this snapshot of Saul's heart, let's see what 1 Samuel says about the heart of David. A little bit of background in the story. Obviously, God was not happy with Saul as king of Israel and the defects that were in his heart. So in 1 Samuel 15, we see that God rejected Saul as king. If you go on and keep on reading in chapter 16, you see that God sent Samuel out to choose the next king. Actually, God was doing the choosing Samuel was just the spokesperson. But God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse, a man who had eight sons. Samuel tells Jesse, bring all your sons out, because one of them is going to be anointed as the next king of Israel. Now keep in mind, all this was done in secret, because the young man who would be chosen would not immediately become king, but eventually he would. So Jesse brings out his seven oldest sons, lines them all up, And they all look great. In fact, Samuel thinks they all look like kings. They're tall, dark, handsome. But while Samuel was looking at the oldest son, the Lord said to him in 1 Samuel 16 and 7, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. So they go down through all seven sons. And the Lord says, Do not... None of these guys are the right guy. None of these young men will be the next king of Israel. And so folks might look at that and say, well, why not? They look pretty good. And the answer would be because the Lord doesn't look at the things that a man looks at. 1 Samuel 16 and 7 says that while a man looks at the outside, the Lord looks at the heart. So Samuel says, well, Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, not really. There's the youngest one named David, but he's out tending the sheep. And besides that, he's not really tall, dark, and handsome. In fact, he's kind of short, and he's kind of a ginger. Kind of ruddy is what the Bible says. Ruddy equals ginger. Samuel says, well, I guess then I'm just going to stand here till you go get him. That's what he said. And he does. And Jesse brings David, and David's probably about 15 years old at this time. He brings him to Samuel, and God says to Samuel, He is the one, I have seen his heart, he is the one I will work with. Anoint him as the next king. That's him. It would be about 15 years before David would actually become king. But God, at this point, had set him aside to eventually replace Saul. So you say, well, why did God choose David? To answer that, I want us today to look at the five characteristics of David's heart and the way that they distinguish him from Saul. And the first one 
is David had humility. He was humble. Even though he had been anointed as the next king of Israel, David didn't boast to his brothers. He didn't gloat and walk around like he was superior to his brothers. He didn't say, I'm not going to tend the sheep. You guys go do it because I'm going to be the next king. And kings don't tend sheep. In fact, someday you might just bow down to me. And I got to thinking about that particular part that he probably didn't go around bragging that they might bow down to him. And I thought maybe that would be that he had heard the story about Joseph from many years before and how that whole um, you're going to bow down to me thing went with him. So he kind of avoided that. But God chose David because he was humble. And even though David had been anointed as the next king. It was guaranteed that he was going to be the next king. It wasn't time for him to be king. So he simply went back to tending sheep. Maybe it doesn't make sense to us that David went back to tending sheep. After all, he's, he's going to be king. But one of the things that God saw in David's heart was that he had a shepherd's heart. What better person to lead a group of people than someone who led sheep? David continued, even after being anointed as a king, he continued to care for his sheep, these dirty, defenseless, dependent little animals. He continued to watch them. In fact, he continued to place the safety of his flock above his own safety and comfort. He had the heart of a king, of a shepherd. Later on, while David was still shepherding, we read that Saul, of all people, Saul drafted him into his service because David was also a great musician. And Saul seemed to have these some mental issues, and David could play, and Saul would calm down. And so Saul said, I want you to come and just be here to play whenever I need it. That had to be a bit awkward. David played the harp for Saul. But in addition to being a, a great musician, he was also a strong warrior. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 21 through 22. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. And David remained humble. David knew that God had rejected Saul as the king. Yes, he, did. He, knew he knew that he had been anointed as the next king, but he had continued to serve Saul anyway. Right. He didn't go around and make little comments to Saul like, oh, I bet you know, knew what I know. I bet you wish you know what I know. He never lifted himself up. Instead, David lived to lift up his God. In his humility, David is also patient. A part of patience, quite frankly, is humility. And we see this in David. David had to wait 15 years before becoming king. For seven of those years, he was a fugitive being hunted down by this maniacal, angry, jealous, insane King Saul, who hated David. 
In fact, who at a couple different times got close enough that he threw a spear at him to kill him. David lived his life on the run. He had to hide out in caves to stay alive. So we see that David waited for 15 years. We're talking about patience here. David waited for 15 years for God to fulfill his promise. In contrast to that, let's look at a a time that Saul was supposed to wait for the prophet Samuel to come and offer up a sacrifice before they went out to battle. Samuel had made it clear to Saul, do not do anything until I get there. When I get there, I'll offer up the sacrifice, and then and only then can the army go out and fight the battle. How long did Saul wait for God before he offered up the sacrifice himself? He waited seven whole days. David waited 15 years. He couldn't wait any longer. He saw some of the men drifting off, and he told Samuel when he got caught, he said, but the men were leaving. And I thought the Philistines would come down. When God looks for someone he can work with, he looks for someone... Who can wait? Someone who is humble. Someone who says, I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. God, I'm going to wait on you. I know you have a plan for my life. I know that you know what is best for my life. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to humble myself before you. And I will go wherever you lead me. I didn't say it was easy. I'm just saying that's what God's looking for. Last week we brought out the idea of the default of our heart being what is is truly at our core, truly in our heart, and the actions that automatically come from that. That's our default. So today could we ask ourselves, are humility and waiting on God defaults of my heart? You don't have to say it out loud. The second thing that God saw in David was that he had integrity. Psalm 78, 70 through 72 describes basically why David was chosen. Let's look at that. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. The Hebrew word for integrity is tome. It means full and undivided. Basically, David had a heart that was filled up with God and not a bunch of other stuff. David's heart was undivided. When he made mistakes, he asked God to purify, to cleanse and renew him. His heart wasn't divided by pride. It wasn't divided by ego. It wasn't divided by jealousy. It wasn't divided by anger and resentment. Even though he was hunted by Saul for seven years, he never developed a hateful attitude against Saul. In fact, there was a couple times that he had the chance to kill Saul. And he said, I'm not going to do it. He had a heart of integrity. He didn't have anger and hatred 
or resentment in his heart, in spite of the fact that he had been anointed as king, and this evil, crazy king that was currently in power was trying to kill him. Now we're all saying, I could do that. Well, I'm glad you say that. I don't know how successful I'd be at that. When you and I are harmed by someone, we can either act like Saul and harden ourselves against God and become bitter, or we can choose to release those resentments and forgive as David did. And unfortunately, far too many people, and I'm talking about people in church, far too many people choose to hold on to that anger and resentment. Maybe this is a battle we all have. Here's a trial question to see. Are you growing in forgiveness or are you growing in bitterness and resentment? Have you been wronged? If so, have you been able to forgive the person who hurt you? Remember, Jesus said that if we can't forgive, we won't be forgiven. Look at it this way. Stay with me for just a second here. There is a throne on each of our hearts. And whoever or whatever sits on that throne is our king. That king calls the shots. He is our primary audience. Our king controls us. And if we don't forgive somebody, guess what we do? We put them on the throne of our heart and they end up controlling us. If you don't believe me, Write that down somewhere and come back and think about it later. Because I tell you, if you think about this, when we have that resentment and we have that extreme hatred and anger and resentment in our heart towards someone who hurt us, I can tell you that every time something negative happens to us, we somehow try to connect that negative thing back to that person who hurt us. If you live with bitterness, you are being controlled by the person who wronged you. And you have a divided heart. And if you have a divided heart, you do not have a heart of integrity. Well, that sounds pretty harsh. No, it is. But it's true. God tells us to forgive. And He wants us to forgive so that He can sit on the throne of our heart. As long as there's someone else there, and there's all that bitterness and anger and hatred, and that we place that other person there as the thing that runs our life, He cannot sit on the throne of our heart. He wants our heart to be surrendered to Him. He cannot create something great out of us if we have a divided heart. The third thing that David had, he was obedient. Acts 13.22 says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And then the the author of, of the book of Acts went on to say, He will do everything I want him to do. Hmm. 
In other words, God was saying that David was obedient. At his core, he's going to obey what I tell him to do. Is he going to make mistakes? Of course he's going to make mistakes. But his default will be to return to obedience because that was one of his defaults. It was in his heart. He will submit his heart to God. God chose David to lead because first he knew how to follow. Look who he had to follow. He had to follow the guy that he was going to replace. And God wants us to be leaders too. But if we are going to be leaders, we too need to learn how to follow. We need to learn how to submit and obey. Why? Because this is the kind of heart that God wants us to have. If you're going to lead your family, if you're going to lead in the church, if you're going to lead in your community, no matter where it is that you want to lead, you first have to learn how to follow. So why do we obey God? At the core of obedience to God is a clear understanding that He knows best. And that's why we're obedient. Why do we disobey? Because at the core of disobedience is this faulty mindset that we know best. Saul thought that he knew best. David knew that God knew best. What is your default? What is in your heart? Do you truly come under the authority of the Scripture saying that God knows best? Or do you think that you know best? Jesus said the wise man is like a man who builds his house on a firm foundation. The wise man hears Jesus' words and practices them and applies them to his life. And when the rains come and the floods, the floods come and his house and his marriage and, and his life, they all stand firm. However, Jesus says the fool hears those same words, but he doesn't apply them to his heart. Oh, he hears them. The fool doesn't necessarily say there is no God. In fact, the fool might even like Jesus' teaching. He just doesn't do anything about it. That's a great sermon, Pastor. I'm not going to do anything about it, but it was a great sermon. The fool is like a man who builds his house on the sand, and when the rains come and the floods rise, everything gets washed away. So what is your default? Obedience or disobedience? Do you think that you know best or do you acknowledge that God knows best? The fourth thing that David had was trust. He had incredible trust in God. Let's go back to the story of David and Goliath. Goliath is facing down the armies of Israel and everyone is terrified, including David's brothers and Saul. But David is confident. Stop and think about that for a minute. David's brothers are, te- are terrified, just like King Saul. So now, looking back, why do you think God passed them over? It's real simple. 
Because they trusted in their own power and their own ability. But David shows up and says, who's this guy that's taunting Israel? David says, I'll go out there and fight this guy. This is little David. And people wonder, how can he have the confidence to go fight a giant? The answer is found where David says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David knew that God had been faithful in the past. He had faced things in the past that were bigger than him. He had faced a lion, he had faced a bear, and he thought, this guy's nothing. But he could only say that because he believed in his God, not in himself. He had faith in his heart, not doubt. He had faith that God would empower him to accomplish what God had called him to do. Remember, God said, you will be the next king of Israel. Well, if he went out and fought Goliath and got killed, that wouldn't happen. So he just believed that God said it and it's going to happen. And God says to each of us today, I want you to face life with faith. I want you to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to make Him the very Lord of your life. I want you to understand that through Him you are more than conquerors. I want you to understand that with Him all things are possible. I want you to face the giants in your life. Not with fear, but with faith. I don't want you to hide out in fear and be terrified. This is the heart I can mold. This is what God says. This is the heart I can mold. That I can shape. That I can do great things with. And so I'll ask you today. Do you have that kind of heart? The fifth thing that David had was repentance. And this distinguished him from Saul... Greatly. Because David was genuinely repentant. Having a heart after God's own heart doesn't mean that you never make mistakes. However, it does mean that you will be repentant. It means that when you do sin, you won't remain in sin. 1 John 3 and 6 says that those who abide in Christ do not remain in sin. And John isn't saying that, that once you come to Christ, you'll never sin again. He essentially says that if you do, you won't be comfortable there. That's right. You're not going to stay there. You'll come back to repentance. And that's what David did. He repented. And if you read through the story of David's life, he did it quite often. After his affair with Bathsheba, he wrote this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So here's the main difference between Saul and David. One man had a heart that denied God, and the other had a heart that was full of faith in God. What is your heart like? God wants to do great things in you. God wants to do great things in your future. God wants to do great things through your family, 
in your workplace, with your talents, and through your education. He wants to do great things in you as you make plans to follow Him. He wants to do great things in the church. But before God can do anything great, it requires that we give our heart to Him. Our core, our heart, has to resemble that of David, not of Saul. Unfortunately, many more many people today are more like Saul than they are like David. They're comfortable with sinning and remaining in that sin. If that's you, then you need a new heart. And God wants to give you that new heart. Second Chronicles 16 and 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those who are fully committed to Him. It doesn't say partially committed. It says fully committed to Him. Well, I just don't feel like God is strengthening me very much. I go through life and I just seem to... Strengthen those who are fully committed to Him. I'll let you put that together. God wants your heart to be fully given to Him. And I would ask you, is your heart fully given to Him? If it is, He wants to use you to do great things. If it isn't, then frankly, He cannot use you until you fully commit your heart to Him. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Is Christ in your heart? Is He the Lord of your heart? Is He the one who's sitting on the throne of your heart? And I will tell you that if you allow Him to, He can cleanse your heart. He can forgive you. He can purify you, and then and only then will He sit on the throne of your heart. And when He does, He will be your Lord, and He will call the shots for your life. If God is the Lord of your heart, let me promise you this. He can and will do great things in and through you. He can do great things in your relationships. He can do great things in your workplace, in your future, and in all of your plans, and all your dreams. But if you have not made Him the Lord of your heart, He can't make you into that masterpiece that He wants you to be. Let's look back at that that block of marble that Michelangelo used to to sculpt that statue of David, the one we talked about last week. That block of marble was such poor quality, it was so severely flawed that two other sculptors had completely rejected it and said, I can't work with it. It's just junk. And yet Michelangelo saw that at its core, there was something that was workable, there was something that was salvageable, and eventually he turned it into a priceless work of art. 
Perhaps you've lived your entire life seeking the things of the world. And still, you've never really found that something that satisfies you. And as a result, now, at this point in your life, you find yourself broken and bitter, maybe full of regrets. Maybe your heart is divided by resentment. You become hardened by years of rejection. Maybe anger and unforgiveness has filled your heart towards people who have hurt you and you feel hopeless. Like I can't love and I can't be loved. If this is you, please listen to me today. God sees past all of that. He sees the very core of who you are. You are His creation, and He loves you. Oh, He doesn't love the life that you've lived, but He loves you. And He wants you to allow Him to make you into the creation that He wants you to be. Maybe you're in another group. You say, well, that one doesn't sound right. Maybe you've served God for years. Like Saul, maybe you've seen God do things in your life and through you, but now things are different. Oh, maybe you still go to church. You still sing the songs. Sometimes you even say amen, but on the inside, it's just not the same as it used to be. Because now you're afraid. You live in constant fear that things are falling apart in your life and that that you might fail, completely forgetting that God cannot fail. Maybe you too have been hurt. I know there's a lot of people in churches across this country that have been hurt. And maybe you're clinging to bitterness and resentment towards someone that's hurt you. And it is destroying your life. Maybe there's some regrets too. Things I should have done and didn't. Things I shouldn't have done and did. Regrets that have caused you to say, what's the use? It's too late. Maybe there's some disobedience there too. Things that have caused your heart to to become hardened to God's gentle prodding. But if you fall into one of these groups or into one of a gazillion other groups, let me assure you those scenarios do not have to be the end of your story. If you will listen today as God speaks to your heart, allow your heart to be broken by conviction, and then if you will sincerely repent, and when I say sincerely repent, it doesn't mean just saying I'm sorry, it means saying I'm sorry, and then changing direction. Sincerely repent. And if you truly want God to purify and change your heart, He will. No matter where you are in your walk, it doesn't matter. As long as you're living, it's not too late. 
you're living a victorious life and doing everything that God has called you to do, then I would say, good for you. Good for you. Just ask God to draw you closer to Him than ever before. And say, Lord, I want you to use me for even greater things. But if that's not you, if you've never made a start to serve the Lord, or you made a start and turned and walked away, then it's time to repent. It's time to change direction. I assure you that if you do, God will forgive you. He will cleanse your heart. He will start a work in you to become that masterpiece that He wants you to be. Let me tell you how all this starts in closing. All of this starts by asking God to search our heart and show us what is really there. Just like David did. Search my heart. Show me what is really there. And then when He shows it to us, we take an honest look at what He shows us. And when we see what's really in our heart... We ask ourselves, is my heart like David's? Or is my heart like Saul's? No matter what the answer to that question might be, whether you you look in your heart with with all sincerity and honesty, and God points these things out and you look at it, and, and no matter where it comes out, that it's like David or like Saul, no matter how much brokenness that you might see, God has chosen you. Maybe you're broken. But you're still chosen. You see, here's what it comes down to. God loves you. He sees something in you that no one else sees. He sees your heart. And he sees something else that no one else sees. He sees the masterpiece that he wants you to become. You say, well, I don't really know where to start. It's quite simple. Could we stand this morning? It starts at repentance. It starts at looking at our heart. Looking deep down inside the things that maybe we really don't want to see. Being honest. And saying there are things there that shouldn't be there. And I need to get rid of them. And we turn to God and we say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want you to take these things in my heart that should not be there. I want you to take them. I want you to cleanse my heart. I want you to purify me. Forgive me, Lord. And Lord, as as you do that, and as you take all those things out of my life, I want you to replace it with something. I want you to replace it with your spirit. I want you to fill me with your spirit. 
And Lord, that Spirit will help me to turn and change direction. It will lead and guide me into all righteousness. That's where it starts. But until we're willing to do that, God cannot use us for what He wants to use us for. You might say, well, I'm happy just like I am. I can assure you, if you're happy like you are, you won't change. But God has something better for you. If you are not completely and totally committed to Him, He has something so much better. And He will help you. He doesn't just take away all those things and just kick you out and say, okay, you're on your own. Do the best you can. No. He fills us with His Spirit. He gives us strength. He gives us power to overcome. He gives us the ability to become what He wants us to be and do the things that He wants us to do. What I want to do this morning, and I don't know your heart. And if you come down here today, it's certainly not an admission that you've done some horrible sin. It's just an admission of God, wherever I am in my life, I want you to help me to search my heart and take an honest look at what's inside. Because Lord, maybe there's some broken things in there that I don't see. I don't want to get rid of them. Is there anyone here today that wants to come and pray? Somebody will meet you here. Some of you ladies come. You say, well, I don't know what to say. I'm not going to tell you what to say and say repeat after me, but really all it has to be is, Lord, help me to look at my heart and see what is there. And Lord, whatever is there that shouldn't be, take it away. If you're still back there and not up here, please pray for those that are up here. And each of us in this building today, and anyone that is listening today, could you at this point just say, Lord, I need you to help me look at my heart and take an honest look at what's there. Let's sing this course together this morning.